Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On the first of this week's month-long Clash Pod listener selection in the red corner, the film that ironically everyone thought was huge, but actually wasn't. What happens if you take the fantastic voyage and then decide that perhaps the incredible journey of tiny people inside another human isn't enough plot. We find out in 1987's Inner Space. Test pilot Tuck Pendleton wants to make history. Supermarket clerk Jack Putter needs a vacation. Lieutenant Pendleton is about to be miniaturized, placed into this needle, and then injected into this rabbit. Rock and roll. But something went wrong. And Tuck's about to get a new destination. Inside Jack Putter. While in the blue corner, if you are an adult father who decides to build a potentially lethal shrinking machine in your home laboratory, then do the smart thing and invest in a lock for the door. It's page one of the parenting rulebook. Otherwise, from 1989, you might find yourself saying, Honey, I shrunk the kids. Professor Wayne Zielinski was hard at work on his new invention. This thing works. It'll put us right up there with the invention of electricity. Then something quite unexpected happened. Where are the kids? I haven't seen them since I left this morning. It shrunk the kids. Nick, what happened? It works. Diane, I got something real important to tell you. Are you trying to tell me the machine works? Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids and the Thompson kids too. They're about this big. Threw them out with the trash. What? So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Clash Putters, when things are at their darkest, pal, it's a brave man who can kick back and party. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to this week's Tiny Tantrum is what we're going with. Two movies going head to head. The Tiny Tantrum. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids versus Inner Space. Now, as I said, this is the first week of our month long listener selection. It's a listener selection. How long does it last, V? A month. A month. 
uh, we're handing over uh, the decision-making of what films we pair each week to you for the whole of January, and we're beginning with this pairing. Chris, tell us more. Uh, it's a pairing that Martin sent in, and that's all I got. Right. <laughs> Cheers, Martin. Thanks. It's a great pairing. He didn't send us the longest email, but he sent us uh, two suggestions that we all loved, so... If you want to send us an email, it's show at clashpod.com. You can elaborate further or you can literally put this and this and we may <laughs> obey. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at ClashPod. Um, well, in lieu of uh, people guessing, got any connections for these films? Vicky? Um, gadgets with arms that don't quite work. Mmm, okay. good one. So yeah. Wayne Zielinski's big machine uh, doesn't quite work and uh, Tuck in Inner Space has a mechanical arm to pour his vodka and it doesn't quite work although I, although Mr Igo has an arm a mechanical arm that very much does work oh yeah <laughs> yes it does in many different ways we assume she looked like she knew what to expect in yeah. fact uh, so I'll, I'll add a connection inappropriate jokes in kids films fucking bananas <laughs> we've got the vibrator which we'll be getting to but uh, also some, some jokes in the Hung Astronaut the kids uh, putting your lips together and blowing it's a very <laughs> famous rude joke from film history that shouldn't be in a kids film <laughs> that vibrator scene oh, okay. um, blindsided me I'd forgotten about that <laughs> I was too. I was wearing a warm duvet of a family friendly movie and even me I was like what the fuck is happening <laughs> we're getting to it we're getting to it <laughs> we're getting to it uh, any more uh, allergies major plot points in both movies oh yeah Jack has lots of allergies and Nick's allergic to pollen yeah I got uh, the actor Mark L. Taylor. Indeed. Yeah, players Dr. Niles, uh, the guy with the sneeze on his glasses at the end of Inner Space, and Don Forrester, uh, the fishing buddy who turns up in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Any more? Um, well, my clue, my Twitter clue was one small step for man, one giant leap for visual effects, because these both won the visual effects awards. Inner Space won the BAFTA, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids won the Oscar. Mmm. That's it, I think, from me. Did Inner Space not win the Oscar as well? I thought it did. I thought I read that. But maybe I'm wrong. Just got the BAFTA here. Okay. Uh, I got I got another one. This is a bit vague. I've got two vague ones. I'm going to chuck them in because they're here and I've done some work. So, uh, digestion. Uh, in Inner Space, obviously, Mr. Igo gets <clears> digested. <throat> and the climax of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is the prospect of being digested by your own father. <laughs> yep. And uh, finally, uh, John Horror. And this is a bit of a weak one, but again, I'm chucking it in. Never stop me. He <laughs> uh, played Ozzy in Inner Space and he went on to be the cinema, the director of photography, rather, for the sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Which I think is kind of interesting. Ozzy directed uh, photography for Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Yeah, someone, someone in Inner Space is in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid as well. Oh, really? Yep. I'll get to that. Okay. Uh, any more for any more? No. All right, then. So, uh, Martin's suggestions. Uh, dear Clash Pod and Martin, uh, we have given, Martin, inner space to Christopher. We have given Honey, I Shrunk the Kids to Victoria. We do it chronologically. So, Christopher Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, take us on a journey. When a test pilot is miniaturised and accidentally injected into a hapless store clerk, he faces a race against time to survive while his host must elude a gang of evil scientists and killers endeavouring to steal the technology for themselves. That's what Inner Space seems to be about, but dig a little deeper and you realise it's a metaphor for coming out by going in. Tuck Pendleton is a macho charlatan <laughs> who hates himself so much that he has turned to drink, 
but that all changes the first time he enters another man. While sailing back and forth inside his new friend, Tuck sees the error of his ways and learns to love himself. So much so that when he finally withdraws, Tuck is born again and ready to embrace the new man he has become. Has become. <laughs> and, and then he marries Meg Ryan. It's a metaphor. They couldn't put, they couldn't put the whole thing. It's a kid's film in the 80s. They couldn't do the whole thing. It's under the surface. That's true. And Marty Shaw oh. does go after them, doesn't he? He's like, threesome. Uh, uh, under the surface. <laughs> under the surface, yep. Uh, what a load of bollocks, Chris. <laughs> But fair enough. Let's uh, let's go with it. Yeah. So, team, was this a first time watch? Was this a childhood staple? What's your history with Inner Space, Alex? Uh, um, so this was kind of exciting. I actually have something for this section this week uh, because I must have watched this film about fifteen times, maybe going on twenty times as a kid. I was obsessed with it, and when I put it on at the weekend to watch for the show, it struck me. I hadn't seen this film for 30 years. <gasps> Three decades I haven't seen Inner Space. Now, sometimes you get a little bit of nostalgia when you watch a movie for this show that you haven't seen for a while. I swear to God, I was overwhelmed. I forgot how well I knew this movie. And like, I, I, I was almost crying with sheer joy at seeing this film again. So this was a really, really good choice. Thank you, Martin. Vicky, have you got something similar to that? It's weirdly the same. Yeah. How strange is that? You know when I talk about my, my granddad, an early adopter, had VHS tapes when no one else did, but he only had a few. Home Alone, The Golden Child and Inner Space. <laughs> <laughs> so me and my sister have seen this film a million, million times, but I can't, but I haven't watched it since I was about yeah, eight or nine. So yeah, 30 years. Mm. And there are certain scenes in this film that gave me like child anxiety and stress when I was younger and it's taken me years to shake that off and then watching it again. I mean, I can't believe I was allowed to watch it now. Like having watched it in the week, some of the themes, some of the jokes, like I can't believe he just let us watch it, my granddad. Um, really? I yeah, like the, well, like the, the vibrator, the vibrator thing. Like, the granted, the vibrator thing is like, what the fuck did that come from? Like, yeah. it's, and the way he does it, and she's just looking at it, and it goes on the end of his arm, and all of that. It's <laughs> it's a really weird bit, and I was like, gee, up, up until that point, I think it's fairly family but, friendly. But even if my granddad had put the first two minutes on, the opener is shot like a scary, moody sci-fi. Mm. So he would have thought, oh, that's probably a bit intense for a six-year-old. What, the bit with the ice cubes, yeah, right? Like, yeah. It sounds like Vangelis. It's yeah. like Blade Runner. And it's really good. Yeah. But you'd think, ah, oh, maybe not for kids. Mm. Maybe. But I feel like you at that time you saw Spielberg's name and that was it. You that's just, true. Because yeah. this is, I, I remember dragging my mum and my brother, or making my mum take us to the cinema to see this because... It was a Steven Spielberg film. And interestingly, um, he made Joe Dante put um, the credit of Joe Dante film on the poster. And mm. Joe says he doesn't believe in that credit at all. But Spielberg made him because people thought he was directing all these films he was producing right. because they would put his name front and centre. And I certainly would have thought Steven Spielberg had directed this, which is why, mm. you know, his name was just magical in the 80s. You yeah. went to see everything. But I think that kind of adult humour that is in this is what we grew up with as kids. Like it became, I didn't. I, I will have watched that vibrator joke as a child, and I either won't have got it. You won't have got it. I probably won't have got it. But also, like the whole tone being slightly adult. Remember when we talked about the Goonies on the show? It's the same thing. It's like adult humor in what is fundamentally a kids slash family movie, yeah. and I like that. Mm -hmm. I, I I really like that. I feel like there was a paradigm shift in Hollywood that they wanted to make films that appeal to adults and children at the same time. 
And in the 80s, they thought that meant putting innuendo in movies for the adults to laugh at. Okay. And I think it wasn't until The Simpsons and Pixar came along that they realised, oh, no, actually, you can just be really intelligent and you can do jokes that appeal to both audiences without having to put sexual innuendo underneath it all. So we got these really weird 80s movies that are slightly uncomfortable when you look back on them, whereas that seems to have shifted now. I don't think we have that kind of humour in kids' films. But you see, once you become attuned as a child to watching a film like Inner Space and assuming that film is directed at you, it means movies that were fundamentally kids' movies. Like when we talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, as a child watching that, I was like, hmm... I'm watching a kids movie here. This is already aimed at younger and a younger audience than a 10, 12-year-old, 10, 11-year-old because I was like this is a kids movie where it's cuz I in a space was what I thought was a movie made for me. Wow. I got deep. Mm, that was good actually. Should we talk about the film? Why not? Don't need to now, really. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about it. Don't, you, the way you looked at me just then sent the fucking fear through me. Like, you, <laughs> like I was going to go, well, allow me to go. I don't, this is you. You're doing it this week. You're going to tell us a bit about the backstory to how Inner Space came to be. Indeed. Because Inner Space started out as a serious spy movie written by a guy called Chip Prosser, um, who apparently has never seen the finished film. Lies. Um, but very much enjoys cashing the checks, is how Joe Dante put it. You don't believe you don't believe a writer would have had anything to do with something and then not see the movie. Had a million, million. His claim million was that years. his claim was that he's never finished it. He started but, watching it and never got to. Is the that end. sort of it a? It is back, quite long. Is that a backhanded sort of like? <laughs> yeah, it's just like the bit because they kept the first twenty minutes of mine and then after that it just goes off the rail. <laughs> um, Warner Brothers uh, owned the script. They considered turning it into a Fantastic Voyage knockoff, a film that Alex referenced earlier. Until finally, they called a writer called Jeff Bowen, and he came on board with a new premise: uh, What if Dean Martin got shrunken down and injected inside Jerry Lewis? Uh, he says the idea was kind of. Ridiculous, uh, which was a person miniaturised and put into someone else's body. That's all I kept from the original script. They originally thought it might be Michael J. Fox inside Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. Okay. I would have watched that. I mean, wrong way round compared to what they went with. Yeah, yeah. You'd want Michael, yeah. Fo- Michael J. Fox in the Martin Short role, but then Arnie would not fit in that pod. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine that, though. I could imagine... I can see it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would be, it would, it'd be, it would be taking the same idea, but doing the opposite. So you'd have the sort of wacky, yeah. funny person trapped inside a big sort of like, hello, <laughs> the policeman from hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and it might have made a bit more money. Um, he says it was such a goofy idea that there were no limits to it. I felt I could do anything. And so the script I wrote was very loony and far out there. But everyone loved it. Dick Donner, Joe Dante, John Carpenter and even Spielberg wanted to do it. Uh, Spielberg didn't want to do it, it turns out. He wanted Robert Zemeckis, his protege, to direct it. Zemeckis turned it down. That's so weird. I don't know why, but I, for a long time I thought Robert Zemeckis directed this, and I think it's because of all the effects. Yeah. And I felt like it would be a Robert Zemeckis movie. And I know I'm wrong, but I just thought that. And Spielberg, all of Zemeckis and Dante's films were kind of Spielberg productions, so yeah. it felt like it was all from the same stable. Um, and so, yeah, Dante came to direct it. Um, he said that Tuck was supposed to be an older guy at the end of his career in the original script. But then Spielberg suggested Dennis Quaid because apparently he said he look, he's 32, but he looks like he's lived. <laughs> uh, which is true if you know anything about uh, Dennis Quaid's life. He has lived has several he really? lives. Yeah, he's had a, he's had a That's life. interesting because I went on his Wikipedia in preparation for this and he's, he's one of those few Wikipedias that's got the, uh, an updated photo uh, on his page. So it's from 2020. And I looked at him and he looks good. Mm. He looks... Merry, but he looks good. <laughs> yeah, I think he was merry for a lot of his career. Um, did either of you listen to a, a podcast? He's got a podcast because every, every celebrity started a bloody podcast in lockdown and he's got one called The Denissance. 
<laughs> is it just about his own stuff? Um, I don't know. Is he doing Inner Space this week? <laughs> he did. No, he did Inner Space oh, recently. That's challenging for us, um, I think. He, he got... Um, Literally, do you know how many people have just turned off Grace and God? <laughs> you mean I could be listening to Dennis Quaid <laughs> talk about Inner Space? I, I haven't finished. I haven't finished because it's made me not want to listen to any other episodes of his podcast. Uh, admittedly, I'm talking about Inner Space with Vicky and Alex. He's talking about it with Joe Dante and Martin Short. But oh, it sounds really good. Yeah, there's, an, there's, an art, there's an art. There's an art to doing a podcast and interviewing people, and it involves not talking over them. And it's basically forty-five minutes with three people talking at the same time. It's incredibly, incredibly frustrating and uh, almost impossible to listen to. You really don't like that, do you, Chris? He doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Quaid got the part, and then again, Spielberg suggested Meg Ryan. Uh, but not because, apparently not because of Top Gun, because he'd been watching, at that time in the 80s, apparently he was watching lots of soap operas. And she was a soap opera star before getting into movies and he thought she was great, so he recommended her. A lot of firsts for me in this movie. This was my first Dennis Quaid movie, my first Meg Ryan movie, mm-hmm. my first Martin Short movie, mm-hmm. first time I ever heard Twisting the Night Away. <laughs> oh, I didn't talk about that. I'm gonna get, I, I was going to mention that in my, in my uh, history with the film, but I'm gonna, I've got a history with that song as well. But um, yeah, and it's, again, last week Meg Ryan was playing a journalist. This mm. week She's Meg Ryan is playing a journalist. Yeah. Although harking back to one of my original quizzes. I knew you were going to yeah, say Yeah, she sleeps with her subject. She pretends to, which is, is that worse? I don't know. She doesn't actually sleep with him, does she? But she says she's going to, to get him to go back with her. What? No, yeah, she's talking about the cowboy. You're oh, talking yeah. about Dennis Quaid. Oh, Dennis Quaid. Oh, Dennis yeah. Quaid's a subject as well. Oh, yeah. really? He's definitely, she's definitely slept with him. I know from something that happens at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but they met on this movie. They got married after this movie. This no, one. they didn't. They meet on the set. They're... Um... Was this their second one together? No, they, they, met, they met on the set of this movie, but they were with other people, apparently, at the time. Oh. And so they shot DOA the next year in Austin, Texas, which is where they did the junket for this film, and that's where they kind of were together officially. Right. I uh, I only just found out, and it's only relevant because I just I just finished season two. You know The Boys? Yes. You know, the geeky kid mm. in The Boys? That's yeah. uh, Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's son. He, he yeah. looks like a combination of he them does. as well. Yeah, he and does. He's, he's really good. He's great. Yeah. The, that's, that whole Jack, fucking series is really great. Jack Quaid, I think. Yeah, it's Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like it, V? Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, <laughs> but you're I aware of it, yeah. I, yeah. It's so good. I will watch it. Okay. I like What's-His-Face, don't I? Carl Urban. Yeah. I love him. All right. <laughs> I'm doing an English accent. Oh, he's not, it's not is it's he? Unwatchable. It's unwatchable. Oh, his accent's no. unwatchable. It's not, it's great. <laughs> it's, no, it's impo- <laughs> it, it constantly verges into Aussie, but it's still Why really good. Why they made him or, do that? Or Kiwi. Yeah. Is that where he's from? Yeah. Oh, shit. That's, that's rude. Apologies to our, uh, <laughs> our listeners from uh, New Zealand. And that's right, isn't it? <laughs> I know it is. Uh, should we talk about the film? Yeah, yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just thinking about you know offending a nation, but let's go. <laughs> let's do the film. So I'm kicking off with my first section called "Man Enters Man." Uh, uh, um, <laughs> is this going to be a theme? Yes. Right. My Good. sections are broken up into men and men. Um, so I can remember watching this in the cinema, Christmas '87, and being really surprised that it was ice in those opening credits. Really? Yeah, because because you know the idea is they're making you think you're in space or something that you don't know it's ice until the camera pulls back. Mm. And I can remember going, "Wow, that's all I've got to say about that." Um, <laughs> Dennis Quaid's hey, character. Hey, did you not think it sounded like Vangelis? It sounds like the Blade Runner score over it, though. I yeah. was, I was, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Dennis Quaid plays Tuck Pendleton. He says, "Anyone know where the head is around here?" That's his second line, I think. Um, I found out from the Dennisons that. Do you know what the head is? It's what military people call the toilet, apparently. 
Really? Yeah. yeah. So that's why you've got a very weird line at the start of this movie. That no one else would understand. It's, very, yes. it's an in-joke. Yeah. How strange. Well, it's, uh, it's, character, it's character building. It establishes it is, him yeah. as a military man because the uniform wasn't enough. <laughs> wasn't enough. Yeah, he's a naval aviator. He appears with his shit-eating grin and delivers a drunken speech about being jealous of test pilots. He falls on a table. He gets kicked out. He's fighting in the kitchen. Um, on the Denizots, he says that he's, he said all I was doing was giving my same performance from the right stuff. Right. He said, that's all I do through this film. I'm doing the same thing. Um, his character description makes it into the film later. Is this bad writing? Someone says... Um, Oh, I've lost the word. What is it? Oh, my God. Is oh, it, I've lost it. Is it the bit where uh, Pete Blanchard yes. goes, he hates authority, <laughs> yes. can't take orders, and <laughs> likes to make up his own rules, which I wrote, why use three words when 20 will do? He says the same thing three times. And also, they've, that's like 20 minutes into the film. They've established that in this scene. We don't <laughs> need true. to hear it. Yes. Um, is Quaid an unconscionable dick in this movie? What's peculiar... And all of this I'd forgotten apart. So we'll come to the key scenes that gave me childhood stress for 10 years. This I'd forgotten quite a lot of the setup of how he gets to the experiment in the first place. So him being pissed at a party, why does everyone listen to him? He's like, yeah, fuck you, everyone. Everyone's like, oh, we should listen to what he's got to say. Like The whole room falls silent, which is strange. What I hadn't noticed until this week was how many times Meg Ryan is physically restrained or shoved or pushed in this film. And it's really uncomfortable and odd. So Dennis Quaid at this point is her boyfriend and he gets knocked on his ass and she goes to help him and someone physically holds her back and is like, don't go there. Pete Blanchard holds her back. Yeah, yeah. So- his character is really shortchanged in this movie. Yeah. Because there's another bit later on. Uh, we'll get to it. But I feel but I feel bad for him because obviously he's meant he, he, he's supposed to in some way be Tuck's friend. So why is he holding her back? Why is anyone holding her back? That's her boyfriend. Why can't she go and pick him up? Mm. Like, what? I don't get it. I'm assuming that it's the suggestion is what I took from him holding her back is the idea that look at the state of him. He's embarrassing himself. At this point, do you sort of want to be tarred with that brush? Okay. Because you're a, a professional journalist who's been invited to this event. Okay. That's good. That's what I thought. That's really good. I didn't see that. Uh, but I think you're right. That's there. Okay, we he, can move on. He is a bit of a dick, but he has got what I'm calling a vodbot. A vodbot. Which is a, a robot that body. pours vodka. I thought you meant vodka body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This I, is what happened when you don't eat for two weeks. I thought VOD was going to be some acronym for his bot. Like a very ornate derriere. <laughs> Uh, we got the Dick Miller cameo, which happens in all of Joe Dante's movies. Uh, really? She said we... He's called Dick Miller and you're not going to do an innuendo on that. <laughs> oh, he's Dick Miller. You're he's not, a legend. Don't be rude about Dick oh, Miller. Yeah. As you said, we've got um, Naked Quaid. Uh, we're then in... Question. Yes. Did anyone else really love the line that Dick Miller delivers where he goes, sure hope you didn't leave your purse back there? For some reason, as a kid, I always remembered that line. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, it, it's sort of, it's such a throwaway line. But as a kid, I was like, God, that'd be awful because then she'd have to go back. <laughs> and she's just sort of left in that big hurry. And that would be bad. So I, I too, hope she hasn't left her purse there. I like that line enough to write it down here, but not enough to say it on the show. <laughs> Uh, we then cut to Silicon Valley two months later and we meet Jack Putter, played by Martin Short, who's suffering from a rash, nausea, big pounding headaches. He seems to be a hypochondriac. Pounding. Um, he's allergic <laughs> to everything, uh, we're told. Um, setting setting a plot point up for later in the movie. <clears throat> um, his doctor is played by the doctor from The Incredible Shrinking Man, yeah. which Joe Dante said on the commentary... Uh, 
I just put this stuff in for myself. No one else gets it. And I think he's right. <laughs> throughout he, throughout this film, there are a lot of in-jokes that I think are just for Joe Dante. I like the calming uh, beachscape that he has mm. on the wall. My dentist, when he used to push you back in the chair, I mean, the chair sort of took you back. He didn't push you back. But when you lay back, he had a seascape on his ceiling That's of nice. his uh, dental surgery. You know I'm terrified of the dentist. So I can't really listen to that story. Why are you terrified of the dentist? Oh, God, I could talk to you about it all day. So tell me to stop when you get bored. It's the powerlessness. Stop! It's, the... <laughs> it's, it's being pushed down in that chair. I don't like it. Really? No, I hate it. And it hurts. And I don't, I just, it's so, oh, I just... You can ask them not to use the restraints, though. <laughs> But that's where's the fun? <laughs> if Doctor Giggles was more easily accessible and the dentist, that would be a pair. I co- honestly do. couldn't. I can't. Well, now you've said you're terrified of the dentist. We have to do it. We have to do it. <laughs> um, here's a question: Were computer chips different in the 1980s? Because we see two computer chips in this film that are not what I've been led to believe a computer chip looks they like. They look like bits of tiny bits of Lego for a car, a Lego car, and here is your inner tube for the tire kind of thing. That's what they look like. Yeah, they, they are we talking, they're not chips though, are they? Because they cleverly We're told they're chips they're a million chips. times. They're not, they're, they're not to get round the idea that they don't look anything like a fucking chip. They're called pins. They call them chips call a lot in the film. They're little red things. Yes. Yeah. They literally call them pins. They don't. I'm sure they do. They call them chips a lot. I wrote down. Oh, Does pins. Doesn't matter what you wrote what? down. <laughs> what? I, but I pretty much... You I wrote pre- down your mistake. I wrote down lines from the film ad verbatim and they say pins because I was like, oh, the pins. I got a real hit of nostalgia from seeing them again. I'm like, oh, the pins, <laughs> the pins. Uh, Tuck gets shrunk. Uh, did you like him kissing the woman on his way to being shrunk? <laughs> I remember. How weird is that kiss? Mm. Like, forgetting the fact that he does just grab a strange, a woman and go... Uh, he also, like, it's it's just a, the strangest kiss, which almost makes it acceptable because, because they so don't weird. open their mouths. It's two people who press their lips closed against each other's faces for three seconds and walk on, get on with their lives. <laughs> So Tuck is shrunk down uh, to be injected into a rabbit. But while he's being shrunk, um, some villains enter the fray. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Dr. Margaret Kanker. <laughs> when she takes off, her ma- gas mask is just amazing. And she looks so glamorous underneath. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, and we've got leather-gloved assassin Mr. Igo. Uh, who, Vernon Wells, Vernon Wells, Vernon, Vernon Wells, Wells, Vernon Wells. Who Joe Dante says he cast him because he reminded him of Jack Palance. Which I think it's not a bad comparison. This particular performance, he's basically the Terminator. I've, I was, I've, I've written down Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget is a lovable buffoon. <laughs> this guy is the a claw? killing machine is he with the sunglasses. He's, he's, he's basically the Terminator. He's on an unstoppable machine. Uh, who we soon realise has a gun in his index finger. Um, bit of background on his on this character. The executives weren't happy with the movie, which I'll talk about as we go on. Um, particularly John Peters, who produced it, and. Um, Spielberg told Dante to to stay on this film. You're going to have to fire someone, and I recommend firing Martin Short because they keep complaining that he's too ugly to be in this movie. Wow! Wow! Uh, yeah, this is all true. Uh, Dante f- uh, felt like they'd on... shot too much of the movie to sack Martin Short, and also he didn't want to sack Martin Short because he thought he was good in the film. And so the actor playing uh, Mr. Igo, he decided to fire. So he was played by a guy called Luca. Bucciovici, Bucciovici. Mm. Um, and they'd shot the entire first half of the film of his scenes already. 
uh, with this actor. He's a writer. He wrote Ghoulies, actually, and a film called Rockula, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I watched this week, and it's really bad. <laughs> Wait, can we guess what it's about? Is Dracula a rock star? Yeah. Right, okay, good. <laughs> well, not Dracula, but yeah, a vampire who, who joins a band. Uh, I want to see it. It's not good. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, poor old Luca Bukovici uh, got caught in the crossfire and got uh, fired from the movie. They brought Vernon Wells on, and um, Dante says that he... He played it much less funny than the original guy did and mm. much more scary. He and, is scary. Yeah. He's terrifying. He was terrifying as a kid. Interesting, though, that the studio said Martin Short was too ugly to be in this movie because mm. while I, I don't agree with that sentiment, I do remember as a kid really not liking him. Me like, too, yeah. He was like... It His was, face just scares me a bit. There's something about the elasticity. Yeah, I just remember thinking, not cool. Not, yeah. not there's, there was no, there was no sort of, no aspect of him in this movie that made me go, I like him. I'm interested in his story. It was all about Dennis Quaid for me. As yeah, because he's whingy. And that, as a, watching it as a grown-up, that's very funny. But as a child, I was just like, oh God, yeah. Up. And then when you want there to be a chance that Meg Ryan will go, do you know what? I will run off with you because you're the more sensitive version of the man I'm in love with. But because they look so, in terms of like good lookingness, being really crude, mm. Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan are, are a 10. Yeah. And Martin Short's not. And, and, so... and then they sort of do, they do weird stuff, like the bit where they go to the nightclub and he gets dressed up in Dennis Quaid's clothes. And yeah. then Wendy's at the nightclub <laughs> and she's like, look at you. And you're like, no, look at you. That's what you should be saying. But she's Wendy, like, yeah, oh, he's, he's so... dressed up. And Meg Ryan's like, oh my God, you've got his clothes. I'm just like, but you still look like you. <laughs> I didn't realise you two were going to be as judgmental as John Peters. <laughs> and also, I'm sorry, as a kid, you're supposed to like Martin Short. He's like a cartoon character brought to life. Yeah. And I don't, re- I loved him. I loved him this time. I thought he was fantastic and I laughed at stuff that I didn't laugh at as a kid. But as a kid, I was like, where's Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid's cool. I like Dennis Quaid. That's my kid voice. Uh, And so Tuck is injected into Jack in this sequence. Um, And on that bombshell, we're going to take a quick break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're back uh, to section two of this film, which I'm calling... before you get on to what I'm no doubt is going to be hilarious <laughs> as a, a section header. Can we talk about how sad Ozzy's death is very quickly? Because it want. really upset me. Like, I got so upset when Ozzy died. He's such a lovable buffoon of a character. And like he's so awkward. And I just got really upset when he died. I think it's a really nasty death, the way the blood seeps through his white coat. And the last mm. thing he sees is loads of cuddly <laughs> animals looking down on him. And then there's that weird moment with the guy with the camera who's like laughing. The camera that Mr. Igo takes to identify yeah. Martin Short. So obviously they need a photographer there. But don't have the photographer who who goes, who goes, hey, hey, did you see what just happened? It's like, yeah, a man died. It's like, right, okay. It's just a weird moment. But I, I, I just... One of my little Aussie moment. I'm done. Man inside man. So uh, <laughs> Tuck has entered Jack's bloodstream. Um, <clears throat> he fires optic sensors into his eyes so he can see and realises he's in a strange man. He then flies to his ear to speak to him. Quick question. Yes. The original plan. Remember, I come to this film from a place of love, but I look at it with fresh perspective this week. Why, if he was meant to be injected into a rabbit, why does he have the equipment to communicate verbally with a rabbit? Because we don't share a common language. That he also has uh, face changing technology for a rabbit, for ostensibly. A rabbit. So was, were they going to put Dennis Quaid's face on a rabbit? Because <laughs> I want to see the original that movie. plan. Yeah. <laughs> No, he seems to have lots of technology that's just useful. There's yeah. there's quite a few holes in this plot, yeah. I would say. Okay. Also, there's not a huge amount of space uh, in that pod. Uh, and talking of equipment that you sort of question how it's there, why it's there, what purpose it would serve. He's got a briefcase with an empty bottle of spirits <laughs> in it. It's, it doesn't have anything in it. It's just got a quartz bottle yeah. in it that he then goes, oh, I'm glad I brought this because now you're going to... Like, were they going to give the rabbit booze? <laughs> Are they going to give Dennis Quaid face rabbit booze? That's true. Also, once Dennis, once uh, Tuck realizes he's trapped in a man, we we're told it's almost <laughs> impossible for him to get out until the end of the film, where it's quite easy to get out. Yeah, it really is easy. You can get out of sweat ducks, tear ducts. You can be sneezed out. You can be kissed out. <laughs> yeah, and literally. Back in again. So, which means you can be spat out. <laughs> so, th- th- there's holes in this plot, but we're told that. that <laughs> I mean, a few. <laughs> the miniaturize the miniaturization works on a two chip system, yeah. uh, which is required for enlargement. And at nine a.m., Tuck's air supply runs out, um, and so we've got a ticking clock. We do. Um, it should <laughs> have been a short. It but... should have been a shorter ticking clock, if we're honest. <laughs> um, head to Tuck's uh, user friendly house for some southern comfort. Um, this is a scene that wasn't in the original film. 
And it was a reshoot. Spielberg watched the film was finished and Spielberg said, we need a scene where they become friends and we need another action scene. And so they go. So they'd even that that set they'd even taken down that to rebuild the set. So uh, basically, Dennis Quaid gets Martin Short drunk. Yeah, it's a nice moment, though, because he's a very house proud man. And when Martin Short walks in and goes, is this where you live? He just goes, yeah, great, ain't it? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's It's sort of, it's really weird. Like when you sort of go, so he's a military guy, uses military terminology for a toilet. And sure, he likes a drink, but he's a military guy. And then he goes to this flat and you're like, it's like a bum's flat. It's like like a student flat. It's got fairy lights up. And the two have never quite meshed for me. It's sort of a very strange place for him to live. Uh, a nice thing about this is wherever they were, whenever they were shooting, uh, Dennis Quaid would be on the set in a booth so he could interact with Martin Short live and vice versa so that they'd get that chemistry and comic timing right, which doesn't normally happen in these kind of films. They were both... Because Dennis Quaid sp- spends pretty much the whole film sitting in a seat on his own, yeah. which is obviously not much fun, but then he would come back to set every day that Martin Short was doing his stuff, so they did that. those scenes live. Uh, Jack gets drunk and puts on Twist in the Night Away by Sam Cooke, which I decided was the best song I'd ever heard in my life so did I. when I watched this scene. And the day after I saw this at the cinema, I went to my local record store slash video store and ordered up the soundtrack to Inner Space. And... They've got the Rod Stewart version on the soundtrack, not the Sam Cooke version. Yep. But because it came like two weeks later, I th- I, got, I confused myself. I thought the best song of all time was a Rod Stewart cover of Twist in the Night Away this for is years. so weird because exactly the same thing happened to me. Bastards. Word for word, that story happened to me. I didn't even know it was a cover yes. <laughs> until I got a lot older. I was like, you know that Rod Stewart song, Twist in the Night Away? That's genuinely, that was the song because of Inner Space. Yeah. But is it not the Rod Stewart version they play at the very the end? At the end credits, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they released, a, they released it as a single. Uh, the video will post on the Twitter. The video is not good, but it has Martin Short dancing on stage with Rod Stewart at the end. Oh, is no. He, is he doing the Mick Jagger impression that he does in this scene? This is a character he did on SCTV, the, the Canadian Saturday Night Live, called Ed Grimley, who was like a man-child, and he would dance like Martin Short dances in this right. film with his head hands kind of in the air. Mm. I remember thinking it was very funny when I was a kid. I don't, don't find it that funny now. No, I when I was a child, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. And this time, I was like, first of all, that Southern Comfort's got backwash in it. That's disgusting. Yep. And also, you're fucking hammered and you've had a slug of Southern Comfort and I'm not buying that. <laughs> um, this is followed by a scene in a bathroom where it looks like Martin Short is talking to his own penis. Hilarious. Very funny. Hilarious. Play with it, pal, but don't talk to it. <laughs> oh, that's upsetting. He says to his penis, what's so bad about being small? You're not going to be small forever. <laughs> <laughs> that properly made me laugh. Uh, that, that guy that says that line to him, he's from the original Thing. Oh, okay. Because you know how Jadanti loves all these old sci-fi. Yeah, 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 he recasts yeah. everyone. Uh, he delivers that line very well. Really good. It's very really well. funny. So. Small parts. Uh, oh, good joke. Um, uh, and, then it, and it ends with a bit of a funny moment where where um, Martin Short thinks he's pissed and then he's quite down the urinal. Lots That's of stuff great. Happening. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. You see, this movie is full of really little asides that make it up. Uh, make it up to be this like it. There's just little things like Ozzy at the start where he's doing the bit to camera and he goes, he, and the guy's got the work on his desk and he goes, those should have been on my desk a week ago. Yeah. And just little bits like that. I think it's, they all add up. And we've met two villains. We now meet two more villains. Mm. So we've got uh, the cowboy arriving, played by Robert Picardo. 
Um, arriving on a plane, he's a guy who deals in stolen tech, basically. is his Libyan, I believe, his character is meant to be. Oh, really? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I did a bit of digging because I was I didn't know what to call him. I was going to go with Eastern European and then I thought, I better find out. And he's listed as Libyan. Well, right. everyone who worked on the film who's on the commentary, so, well, mainly Joe Dante and Martin Short and Rob Picardo, all agree that probably they would do that character different now. You but think? it was just, it was very vague. He's kind of Middle Eastern. I'm doing a kind of Middle Eastern uh, accent. But I think that... I think the basis of the character of so, a, a foreigner who is obsessed with the Old West is fundamentally very sure, funny. But then you wouldn't probably wouldn't cast Robert Picardo, is what they were also saying. Right. It, was, mm-hmm. it just yeah. it felt like that. But he's another Joe Dante favourite. It's, it's Forster from Gremlins 2, the new batch. Yes. The guy who sleeps with oh, a yeah. female gremlin, oh, yeah. presumably. <laughs> I, I heard someone call him her Greta gremlin the other day. That's cute. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Um, so we meet him, much more about him later. And we also meet Victor Scrimshaw, <laughs> played by Kevin McCarthy of Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, fame. He's a black market arms dealer. Um, who gets a great speech about um, nuclear weapons meaning nothing, space is a flop, which is actually all true now. Mm-hmm. Back then, it wasn't. We were still going into space and exploring, but Ooh. now that's... Another connection there. Both people talk about miniaturisation in relation to space and space flights because... Because uh, it's useless otherwise, but <laughs> basically. What I love here is the fact that he this is a brand new character that enters uh, at the hour mark uh, to the movie. So no wonder he basically goes... This is me and this is my plan and this is what I do. And here is my monologue, which explains why I've turned up an hour into this movie and now you know my goals. Uh, And this is much the same time we see uh, Dr. Kanker trying to warm up um, uh, Jack by touching his crotch. I don't think she needed to be a nymphomaniac. No. It's just, it just didn't, it's just an addition that this film... It's one of many additions that this film doesn't out. need. Um, and we've got a fantastic action scene after this. Hang on. You lose the nymphomaniac, you lose the vibrator joke. You do. And you can't lose that joke. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. So you don't see a vibrator. No. You just hear it. And actually... It's I, like I, Gwyneth I, Paltrow's head at the end of Seven. Like, it's worse that you don't see it. I'd never, I'd never got that joke when I was a kid. And then watching it, I've watched it twice uh, in the last week. The first time I watched it, I didn't even notice it because before that, you see Victor Scrimshaw um, all dressed all in white with a big white dog under pink lights in a warehouse. <laughs> it's just this very bizarre place for him to make a phone call. And so I saw that and I wrote down, you know, I was making my note and I missed the noise. I, I just didn't pick up on the fact that was a vibrate. So the second time, I, like, Blood, I rewound it. And so... Again, we could easily cut the vibrator out and I don't think Inner Space would be any poorer for it. <laughs> you say that, but it's been a big feature of this show so far. Yeah, so it's, it's not... Useful for us, yeah. maybe not for parents taking their children uh, to see this. Can you imagine? I just wonder. It would, be, it would be really interesting to find out if someone, if a parent took their kid and what you do in that situation because you're bobbing along, Martin Short's being funny, he's dancing silly and then yeah. suddenly the kid goes... I don't understand. What do you say? You might not so even it's know. A, a mini drill. I don't. Well, I <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? I didn't drill her. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice it. And also, the joke just before is that he's put a corkscrew. He's got a corkscrew on the hand. So I felt like that was the joke, even watching it last week. And that right. maybe even the vibrator was the noise of the corkscrew. I guess it's her reaction is what makes you realise. Oh wow, we're. In uncharted territory. Yeah. I mean, and also at no point has there been any romantic uh, relationship between those two characters no. at any point in the no. film. It's yeah. not like it's oh, 
It's just like in this one moment, they're together. Uh, we've also got an action scene here, which is fantastic. Martin Short hanging off the back of a truck, uh, standing on a sports car. Uh, they did that. That's Martin Short doing a lot of it. I was going to ask. Which you can see. Yeah. And there's a steel bar up his trousers. And that's how they did it. You know, like I think it's like those guys you see balancing in, in Trafalgar Square. Mm. It's, it's all because it's all attached to that. But um, he said that the night before they shot that, they had a party. And um, he said that the next day when I was doing the scene, I could smell vodka on the stunt coordinator's breath. <laughs> and so I was, I was very nervous and didn't know whether to say something or not. Well, it can't have been vodka because you drink vodka when you don't want it to no be smell. on your breath. Yeah, yeah, there's no smell. Everybody knows that. You can, still, yeah. you can still smell it. Mm. And as you said, uh, Vicky, we've got this weird love triangle is introduced between Jack and Lydia and Tuck. I, again, I don't know if it was necessary. It... There's a bit where... Uh, but it Jack, just doesn't work. No, Jack and Lydia are in the restaurant and Tuck is shouting inside him saying, dominate her, don't let her run away with the conversation. <laughs> something, something, something. He says, don't be a wuss puss. Don't be a wuss <laughs> Which kind of cancels itself out because it's cutesy yeah. and macho. So that's whatever, fine. So then I thought, oh, the way this is going is Martin Short's going to go, oh, shut up, that's not how you talk to her. Like, I'll talk to her like a normal person and then you'll see how much she responds to that. And then when you, Tuck, are ejaculated out of me or whatever you'll be nicer to her because that's what she deserves but that didn't really develop either no so Tuck is shouting at this man to dominate his girlfriend and he doesn't ever get told off about but that but this is this is all part of the the idea of making Martin Short more of a man that's his arc his arc is to stop mm. being like such a hypochondriac yeah. and so sort of like but shouldn't yeah, Tuck's whatever. arc just be stop being so much of a dick yeah but it's very difficult for them both to be for Martin to have his arc Tuck and has also, to sorry, be a dick. no 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 sorry you don't become a man by shouting at a woman Yes, you do, Vicky. <laughs> Look at your I mean, face. <laughs> yeah, I just, I kind of agree, don't you? don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, well, moving swiftly on. Um, uh, they go to Inferno nightclub, which wasn't as much like Inferno's in Clapham as I wanted it to be. <laughs> I wondered whether it was going to get a mention. <laughs> uh, a completely pointless scene in the nightclub that doesn't need to be there. Um, and then, No, you need it for Wendy. You don't. You don't. You barely need Wendy in the film. You don't need Wendy. No. You barely need Wendy, and you you certainly don't need to do it at. He he can have the moment with Wendy at the end of the film, and you're still fine. But the end of the film is a rule of three, right? Mm-hmm. He has to. There has to be a third person there. Ba 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 ba, and ba ba ba. Of course. And if you lose Wendy from the film, you don't get that moment. But you yeah. can, she's in at the start. That's enough. I think. No, you need this one whole. More. This you whole need one more to show his transformation as well. This whole Inferno nightclub uh, sequence, though, is about 15 minutes and mm. boom, get it out. Nothing changes. And then we're in a section I'm calling Man Becomes Man because Tuck Pendleton activates the emulation system, which remaps the contours of his face and turns him into the cowboy. Uh, as I said, why does he have this technology? Um it looks good when they're doing it, though. Uh, Martin Short, they didn't use any um, facial effects to do this. They just blew hot air into Martin Short's mouth and then sped up the camera. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's, that's uh, so interesting. Um, <laughs> which with Picardo later in the film, when he does the reverse, um, they did use. They used a new, he had a new head. 
they, they put a head on him when he uh, goes back. Yeah, mm. yeah. But this this one, it's just Martin Short doing it all. It's absolutely incredible. It's uh, so funny, and also it uh, it works both both the transformation and the retransformation work because of the reactions, like when the cowboy wakes up and then passes out again. And when Scrimshaw is watching it and going, please, God, stop. It's so funny. Well, that scene when, when he wakes up uh, and passes out again, that's am- how they did that is because Picardo starts that scene in the bedroom and then he moves to the left mm. and then you can just see his back and they've actually switched him out for Martin Short. And then as the camera's panning around, he's running behind the set, taking his clothes off and getting in the bath. And that's <laughs> all in one shot, which I didn't really pick up on how clever that was. Yeah. But it's... You know, that's practical effects. I like it. You know, I always moan about the Doc Brown moment in a film where they take out the chalkboard, explain something by writing it down. Here, they, someone asks about technology and he says, it's complicated. I don't even understand it. And that's all we get. <laughs> yeah. And there's a really nice touch need. as well. That, that I, and it's a lovely touch. The fact that Tuck wears glasses and has to put glasses on in the pod to mm. work out the technology and read the manual and everything. And you just don't believe he'd be the kind of character that wore reading glasses. Mm. Also, if you wear reading glasses, do you not need to wear them to drive and therefore to fly in a person? I mean, you don't, we don't need to explain the technology. Just, that's, that's true. That's, don't even understand you know, it. I don't it's even just, understand yeah, it. Just, it's just to make you think he looks hot in glasses. <laughs> that's all he thinks. But, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was because he, the, the whole macho thing is a bit, uh, isn't really him. I thought, because, you know... I think you associate that All American Hero was a twenty twenty oh vision God, kind of guy. This, I know we should self reference referentialize. Um, we had a massive conversation about men in glasses for no reason. Do you remember when we were talking about the Devil's Advocate? I think and Keanu Reeves wears glasses for like no reason. Mm. Is it that film? Mm. We had a massive row about it. <laughs> so I was like, they're just putting it on so he looks hot in glasses, and you're like, no, it shows like a vulnerability or whatever. Yeah. No, I oh. think glasses are normally used for to to show intelligence. They, they, they are, they? aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But, but why? <laughs> Because they're for reading. Right, okay. <laughs> and geeks wear glasses. <laughs> Said like a true member of the sports team. <laughs> um, although I did have one question. I, I looked it up. Um, they don't explain this. Uh, there's a three-inch differential between Martin Short and Robert Picardo, but that's not an issue. <laughs> Apparently in this film, no one notices that. Uh, they dubbed Martin Short's voice earlier on, but then in the next scene, uh, Picardo is doing an impression of... Martin Short, they did it both ways and it was much funnier when Picardo was doing it himself. Mm. And when he's moving the skin around on his face, again, people, he said people keep asking him what, you know, how they got that rubber on his face, but his face just does that. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> uh, until they put Rob Bottin's prosthetic head on him. Uh, we got the kiss coming up. Uh, Jack kisses her uh, to Lydia and we see some bubbles and then he's transferred. It's so messy, this. The uh, way they do it, though, because the, they have to find a way to get Tuck into Lydia. like, And so it's just clumsy. The fact that he goes, give me a moment where you mm. turn off all the machines so you can't see anything and, and you don't know why, but just you owe me this. It's like, why, why, would, you... why would he give this guy sort of like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll turn everything off while you kiss my girlfriend. It's just clumsy. It's like, I, I don't know another way to do it because it's difficult, but it's messy. And, and when we mentioned this film last week that we were doing it afterwards, you said to me, this is the moment you really remembered is yeah. what is what... um is discovered in Lydia's stomach. That's right. Why did... so? It's uh, not in your li- stomach, babe. <laughs> well, wait, 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 in your bum. In your bum. Uh, Lydia's got a baby in a bum. Um, bum baby. <laughs> She's got a bum baby. Why, why did that stay with you? Because I'd forgotten that. Um, I think this time watching it, I think it's because it makes whale noises. And I think there's something <laughs> just very strange and alien-like about this thing going... Ooh. 
But yeah, I think it stuck with me because it's a really beautiful moment. Uh, this time, however, uh, it was uh, tainted slightly because uh, Chuck Pendleton, Dennis Quaid goes, I'm a dad. Mm. You're like, confident. That's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> confident. Because there's been two months after you last saw yeah. her. And, uh, you know, I'm, She's a good looking girl. She so. is. <laughs> and she really left you as well. <laughs> I'm a dad. Are you, Tuck? Are you really? And I she, really wanted She the met Harry. She met Harry not long after this. She did. I wanted it because he's like, oh, I'm going to be a dad. And I wanted the fetus to like give him a big wink and be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, we're into the home straight now, man. Exits man. And we're in the villain's lab, um, which I didn't spotted this. Uh, Joe Dante pointed out to me on that commentary. Uh, the technicians there are all hunks because Dr. Hank Kanker wants muscle bound hunks in her laboratory. <laughs> um, and the villains get shrunk to uh, 50% size. Mm. This is what I really remembered mm. from this film. Mini baddies. Great. Mini baddies, pint-sized villains in the back of a car. Um, it's a so stupid. A, a tiny man <laughs> fighting a big man, a full-size man. It's such a bizarre visual. Yeah, and winning, though, just by putting a seatbelt around his neck a bit uncomfortably. <laughs> uh, but this was all in camera as well. They used all these tricks of forced perspective. They cut the car in half, then doubled the size of the back seats. They used rear projection. They used oversized heads and legs and seatbelts on them. The, the, and The guy's arms are massive long at one point yeah. it's like freakish <laughs> uh, it means that they were all performing this together that all the actors <laughs> there were no stub people and, and it's simple but it's it's very effective and while this is going on uh, Mr. Igo has got in a power loader kind of <laughs> and he is inside uh, Jack's stomach heading towards his gastrointestinal acids mm. Um Tuck telling Jack that he's got, he can see a tumour is dark so that he increases the acidity <laughs> levels. Uh, it's it clever, looks, it's good writing. But it looks good in there as well. Uh, genuinely, for right and for wrong, most of my belief system on what the inside of my body looks like comes from this movie. Speaking as a medical professional, as, yeah, as a semi-trained medical professional. As someone who went to medical school, I still will go to inner space first <laughs> Is that how you got in? Else. You did your, like, your pitch presentation. I, I was watching this going, I wonder if this is why I went in the first place because I was like, cool. <laughs> I think a lot of it is relatively accurate though. I yeah. think they, you know, the, these are the technicians who worked on this. It won the Oscar. This, this is what it, it supposedly looks like inside your body. Yeah. Um, the heart valve is really good. Yeah. And Mr. Igo um, has the skin burnt off him. This uh, screwed me up as a kid. Yeah, he's it's literally horrible. he's literally digested yeah. by yeah. Uh, the, the, the bad guy gets digested. He's awful, and yet this death is almost too awful for anyone. It's so horrible. It is horrible. It's very lonely because you'd never be... There's nothing to return to your family, is there? I think that's. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that's the thing. Imagine dying mm. miniature inside a stranger's body. Awful. One way out, mm. and yeah. And then our tuck gets sneezed out, uh, begging the question: this Why didn't we do this earlier? This is the scene that haunted me forever, forever and ever and ever. Mm. I had stress about if I had to save the life of who someone who's become my best friend by sneezing, what if I couldn't do it? And it took me years and I was obsessed with figuring out the thing that would make me sneeze What on makes command. you sneeze? It took me years to figure it out because when I was watching Inner Space, I was probably about eight or nine mm. and then I realised and I thought about it for years because there was nothing that would make me sneeze reliably. Right. Like, like Martin Short just does it yeah. and it, I realised years later when I started tweezing my eyebrows, that always makes me sneeze. But I didn't start doing that so I was about 13. I was really hoping it would be something we could do to make her sneeze on call. We can tweeze her eyebrows. I know. 
I feel like that's complicated. No, no you, I've got tweezers. You hold it down. <laughs> <laughs> he said that before. <laughs> Um, It'd be like uh, the dentist, Victoria. Right. <laughs> and then um, Jack Tuck gets, oh, I wish they weren't such similar names, uh, gets made bigger. He's in Biggin again. Um, Engorged. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I feel like it's a bit of a weird scene. It's all quite arbitrary the way they um, build the tension to for, for him being uh, made bigger. Yeah. Like the lights go out for no apparent reason. And also they've got their chip or their pin or whatever it is. And then it's, it's encrypted pin. with a passcode they don't know the answer to. And I was like, isn't it your chip? So like, oh, is it eat me or drink me? It's like, you should fucking know because you made it. So <laughs> yeah. why is there any... Well, no, Ozzy made it, didn't he? And then he died. Oh, okay. I, I do think there's an argument for not needing Ozzy to die. Uh, yes, in this. yeah, Agreed. of course. Agreed. Because I think it would be really great at the end if he woke up like you could just put him in a coma so he yeah. can't help in any way yeah. but then he comes around at the end and it would be a nice moment I mean he wouldn't have been in it for a lot but if Tuck saw him and gave him a hug I think he doesn't need to die and you know how much it upset me Yeah. Uh, Jack and Tuck meet each other for the first time and then um, Jack pays for uh, Tuck's honeymoon cruise with two years savings uh, why Yep. why is he doing that it's a kick in the teeth really after everything he's been through <laughs> um, Jack's doctor is at their wedding why uh, the, most of the supermarket employees <laughs> everyone who works everyone who works at Jack's supermarket is at the wedding why none of these people have ever met Tuck or Lydia I don't believe you've never picked up on yeah. that what the fuck are they doing there they've never met him Jack, they've never met Lydia or Tuck what the fuck's Jack's problem uh, yeah it's my mate's wedding yeah yeah, yeah, come on. Hey, no, you won't fucking mind. Come on down. Come on down. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. I, but so it's very funny. Joe Dante. I mean, they obviously would have discussed this and goes, who gives a toss? We want it to be like, it's like the ending of Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Where everyone everyone shows up from earlier in the film to get their moment. Uh, but it makes no sense. <laughs> the supermarket boss. And it's Queen's wedding. <laughs> Uh, and then we've got the the setup for the sequel. Uh, the cowboy <laughs> is their chauffeur. The villains are in their luggage, pint-sized villains, and uh, they drive off. Uh, Jack and Lydia do with the villains in the back, and Jack peels off in his convertible to rescue them, while the wrong version of Twisting the Night Away plays. <laughs> I was obsessed as a kid with whether they'd shot it on different days. So they'd shot the limo leaving scene one day. And then they shot the the Mustang chasing it another day. So it really cheers me up when you eventually see the limo at the edge of the shot. Like it is actually chasing the limo. Like mm. both cars are in shot at one point. I was obsessed with that as a kid. Thanks for that. Um, so a bit of post-production in this film. As I said, it was a troubled shoot. Uh, John Peters and Peter Goober, but particularly Peters, wasn't happy with the dailies. Uh, they called Dante into their office halfway through the shoot and told him the film wasn't funny. And as I said, they told him Martin Short was too ugly. Joe said that completely destroyed his confidence. It's just the last thing you want to hear <laughs> on a film set. It'll do that. And he got Spielberg to have John Peters removed from the dailies. Um, at the press preview, Dante said Goober and Peters, who had been um, slagging off the film all throughout the shoot, were giving each other high fives all through the screening as if they'd uh, achieved a good movie. Uh, the ad campaign, he says, was terrible for the movie. It was just a giant thumb with a little tiny pod on it. You couldn't tell if it was a comedy. You couldn't tell anything. And it had a terrible title because we could never figure out a better one. I agree with one of those points. I don't think the post is great. But I think Inner Space is a fucking great title. Me too. Yep, I agree. Um, 
But yeah, as he said, I don't know why they didn't put Dennis Quaid on the poster, which yeah. is a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening weekend, Dennis Quaid was on holiday in Tahiti with Meg Ryan at the time. He phoned up Joe Dante to find Wait, out how the film was doing. I thought they were with other people during this. No, this is when the film came out, right, okay. not when the film was made. And uh, I phoned up Dante to find out how the film was doing and Dante told him to stay in Tahiti. <laughs> <laughs> But Quaid says that this is the film he gets recognised for the most to this day. So I found this information when I looked at it. Was what it did? Hey, I'm amazed it only cost twenty seven million. Uh, but B, I'm amazed it cost forty. It made only forty million because for me, I reference this as one of the biggest movies of the eighties. But it, it really wasn't. It wasn't at all. I think the joys of being a kid and not knowing box office results, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, all these films seem like hits to you. Yeah. Golden Joe, all of them because... But they talk about that. The filmmakers talk about because it was one of the first movies released on VHS. It, it had a huge sort of life as a home video and that's why people think it was this massive movie at the cinema mm. even though it wasn't. Yeah. Mm. But making money on video is still making money. So box yeah. office wise, it wasn't good. But yeah, I mean, Joe Dante said he only made it because he needed a hit after Explorers and it looked like a surefire hit and that didn't work for him. Mm. Any more for any more? Uh, I'm good. Shall we okay, do the bits? Let's do the bits. Uh, Vicky, what was your favourite scene? Uh, it's really juvenile, but just in the lift, when the first time Tuck talks to Jack properly and he's just like, hello, are you there? Blah, blah, and, and the look <laughs> on his face, and because he's so matter-of-fact about it, uh, Dennis Quaid is, he's not, he never says like, oh, he has no awareness that the situation's gone wrong. Do you know what I mean? He's not like, oh, I'm sure this must be very strange for you and all the rest of it. It's just like, right, let's let's let's, let's fix this. What's going on? And I just thought that was so, so, so funny yeah. when I was younger and it still made me laugh. Out. Uh, the cowboy transformation scenes, mm. both of them, I just, I find it's the reactions to them, as I was saying, people reacting to the madness of that face, even Martin Short, it's happening to his face and he's reacting to his own face doing it. And then when like the eyes that when he's looking down at the hot air being blown in and out of his mouth, it's just like pulsing backwards and forwards. I think it's great. And also um, I do like the bit where they bring in the prosthetics. It's like the end of like total recall, that practical prop mm. work, like where it's, it is terrifying. It's like, it's a horror movie at that point. It's great. I thought I'd written down something different for this. I've written down mini villains in the car. Hmm. Uh, but I think I'm going to say because it made me laugh so much this time was that man reacting to Mark, thinking Martin Short's talking to his penis <laughs> really really made me laugh and it's like three really good jokes in the space of 30 seconds uh, MVW most valuable whatever Alex uh, Martin Short and uh, it surprised me uh, as we said I, when I was a kid it was all about Dennis Quaid I did not like Martin Short I didn't even really find him that funny I didn't mind him but it was like I'm like you know I wanted my all American hero I was watching movies to aspire to be a character in those movies and nothing about Martin Short made me want to be him but I did want to be Tuck Pendleton this time completely different like his slapstick ability is next level it's funny the way he just like slips off a doctor's table and it's hilarious <laughs> he's brilliant so it's Martin Short 100% Vicky. I'm going to have to say Fiona Lewis as Dr. Margaret wow, I was not expecting that. <laughs> because what a role that is. Like, what is that role, first of all? You are a sex positive, like, we don't say nymphomaniac, scientist burglar. <laughs> like, I just think to be able to do that. And I know that it's it's the way that other people play off her character. So when, oh, what's he called, Scrimshaw, is like, knock it off, Margaret. <laughs> just like, I find it fucking hilarious. <laughs> But her hair, the way she is. I'll get um, you for this, Margaret. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's always blaming her. But also imagine that you know, your agent sends you the script and it's like, and uh, Vernon Wells pops his glove on and the glove makes a very distinctive noise and you've got to be like, 
uh-huh. Or, but they'd be like, can we do it again, Fiona? Yeah, sure. Uh, ooh, can we do it again? Oh, no. Like, it just amazes me that she was able to do it. Think about what that was like on the day. She probably smashed it out she, of the park the first pretty, time. She pretty much gave up acting after this as well. So scarred by you, it all. No, because you've, you've reached that's the peak. That's true, yeah. That's it's downhill no, from there. Inner space is the high point of a lot of these people's careers. Uh, Alex, MVW. Uh, I've done mine. Martin Short, still, okay, I haven't well changed. Actually, no. <laughs> That's why I went back to you. I thought you might watch Fiona Lewis. Fantastic, me too. No. Uh, uh, I respect to Dennis Quaid for doing his entire film sitting in, in a, a chair on his own, uh, in, cl- in close-up as well, which is not easy. Uh, but I'm, I, I too didn't expect to pick this one. Uh, Robert Picardo. I just thought it was delightfully deranged. He plays two or three different people, it feels like, during this movie. And he's just really funny. Uh, I want to see more of him. He was the best thing in Star Trek Voyager. Did you like oh, Star yeah, Trek Voyager? Oh, yeah, I liked see, that, I've yeah. never seen Star Trek Voyager, yeah. but... That's, I can't really disentangle. Mm. What's he, Doctor something in that? Yeah. can't remember. He's, re- he's very good. Researching him yeah. this week, everyone... He's Doctor something. Doctor something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's the one, Doctor something. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Alex, what would you change, if anything? Right, um, so my biggest problem is the plan to extract Tuck from Martin Shaw at the end. They're basically, they're making him sneeze. Like He's like, give me hairspray to make me sneeze. But he's just standing in the middle of a room. If that guy's glasses is not where the pod had landed, landed yeah. uh, in that sneeze, Tuck would have died. Because yeah. that sneeze could have gone everywhere. And if it had landed on the floor, like they'd have never found him. So it was just sheer, sheer luck that it landed on his glasses. I think the way to do it would have been to have had someone using hairspray by accident. And so Martin Short's walking through and then someone's spraying hairspray and he just sneezes and tucks out and then it's on the glasses as opposed to them going, just do it here in the middle of this room. The finest minds. (laughs) They're like, oh God, sorry, we never thought we could catch it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Vicky? So my change is massive because I had such a turnaround with this. I love this film still, but the stories, and Alex said this earlier, is hugely complicated. And the conceit of miniaturization is enough. And you do not need, oh, I can also blow up your telly. What the fuck was that all about? <laughs> I can change faces. If, you, if someone's miniature and you pitched it, it's about a guy who gets shrunk and he goes inside someone's body, you wouldn't then think, I bet he can change his face as well. <laughs> like it would not occur to you that that's the thing. And also the engine of the story is, for some reason, Meg Ryan and Martin Short have no outside help whatsoever. Just these two guys have got to go it alone to get the chip. That's Pin. weird. Pin, whatever. So if they've got to go it alone, it's got to be because no one else believes them. But there is a whole team of scientists sort of waiting for them to save the day, but not giving them any help. The story should be you have to break into a lab and steal what you need. The story doesn't need to be... The cowboy doesn't need to be in it. You don't need a data tech thief you just need the chip is in a laboratory and us two we need to break in and get it and we'll use the conceit of the miniaturization somehow but you don't need this other subplot you don't need mini baddies <laughs> as fun as that is there are too many baddies and so there's all these disparate elements that for me ruin what it's a caper with too much capering no. there needs to be less capering well, well I know we're not meant to disagree with each other but I, I, I get what you say but for me that's what makes this movie the fact that it just layer upon layer it just just when you think oh, it's done with it's crazy it throws something else in yeah. and I love how overplotted it is and how many subplots it's like because you know I think that's maybe why I loved it as a kid because you know your attention span is shorter as a child and you're just like give me something you, mini baddies yeah. <laughs> they're, they're in a meat truck Brilliant. It's great. I know I was moaning about innuendo earlier, but there was a missed opportunity here for an erection joke. Go, Go on. on. 
What? No, but just an erection oh, you, joke. Oh, you don't have the joke. No, though. no. Mm. Well, it yeah, would be does. him. It would be he him does. inside a erect penis. Like there'd be some, there'd be something they could have done there. What the fuck are you talking about? So he's inside a body, mm. and when you have an erection, all the bloody, all the blood sort of flows. Mm. That that could that could have been oh, a fun okay. sequence right, involving right, that. Right, 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 right. I, I just for a moment there, it oh, sounded I like see, you were going yeah. take out the vibrator, put in an erection. No. Um, put the Sam Cooke version of Twisting the Night Away on the soundtrack because mm-hmm. I might have discovered Sam Cooke, who is my favourite singer, about five years earlier. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm with Vicky. It's too convoluted. Um, and maybe combine some of those villains. We didn't need four villains. Nope. And maybe it's Kanka that, that goes, I'm sorry to say. It's a shame. Um, but You're okay with that though, huh? If it's simple, I, will, I value story above everything. Well, <laughs> on, on the com- sorry, Fiona Lewis. <laughs> Joe Dante said it sh- probably should have been 100 minutes. He said, we used everything but couldn't figure out anything that they could remove. Really? And you've just done a list of stuff. Um, and I've, as I've said, remove the disco. Yeah. You've lost 10 to 15 minutes of your film or, and nothing changes. We really. need a dance sequence. Otherwise, why is it there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those are my changes. And that's your lot. Right then. Lovely. Uh, well, that is us done. Oh, it was the same mall that was in Commando. That is. I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Is it Sherman Oaks? I think it is. Yeah, I think it's Sherman Oaks. Yeah, we told it, it, which isn't there anymore, apparently. Do you know what? If you want to find out, go back to the Commando episode. Not only is it brilliant, but it'll confirm whether it's the same mall as Inner Space and what it's called. Uh, so that is us done with Inner <laughs> Space. We'll be back on Thursday to do its challenger. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Uh, but before then, Christopher, do you have a quiz? I do. Great. I do. It's pretty straightforward this week, I'm afraid. It's called Honey, I Shrunk the Quiz. Uh, and I'm going to give you a clue about uh, small or shrunken I characters. I feel like I should have given you something Sorry, I that. do too. Yeah. That was awful. <laughs> All right. I was just thinking about something else. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to give you a clue about a shrunken character slash movie and you have to guess the film. <clears throat> Yeah. This 1939 classic employed pretty much every dwarf actor in Hollywood. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. No, that was an animation. Shit. <laughs> what, the, for what? the voices. Oh, Snow uh, White. Snow, uh, the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of oh, Oz. Of course yeah. it's the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, okay. There have been more than 20 film versions of this literary classic. The Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And the it, Snow White. Gulliver's Travels. And it gets mentioned at the end of Inner Space. Gulliver's Travels. When they're trying to embiggen him. Oh, Alice in Wonderland! Correct. Uh, thank God. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, a fox voices this tiny mouse. Oh, Stuart Little. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh. Very good. That fox is Michael J. Fox. <laughs> uh, in, <laughs> that fox is Michael <laughs> Really happy with that one. It's really good. In a dream sequence, a tiny version of the protagonist is nearly run over by a bowling ball. Uh, Big, Big Lebowski. Lebowski? Oh, oh, giving that to Vicky. Thanks. Two all. Uh, movie about a bunch of tiny thieves. Time Bandits. No. That is actually what the plot of Time Bandits is. So that's, that's not what I've got written down on the card. that clue works for Time Bandits. So I'm having Time Bandits. Give me a fucking point. Give me a fucking point. I want a point Based for Based on a kid's book. Oh, um... The Borrowers. Correct. Oh, wow. Uh... get the point anyway. <laughs> and actually, yeah, Time Bandits is probably better because the borrowers are just borrowing, so I might be wrong. Uh, this 1971 children's classic features a TV-obsessed kid being shrunk. Oh, so Roll, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Willy oh, Wonka's yeah. Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Willy Wonka. Big... Give it to Al. Oh. Oh. Uh, Willow is after your goal. Willow! Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Willow is after your goal. I know. Willow! <laughs> Willow is after your gold. Or well, the actor who plays Willow is after your gold. 
That's oh, leprechaun! <laughs> oh yeah, my yeah. god. <laughs> it's leprechaun. Three yeah, left. Come to Ireland. <laughs> Three left. This 18th century novel was made into a big budget comedy that starred Billy Connolly, Catherine Tay, and Emily Blunt as a tiny royal family. What? And you've already said it, Vicky. Gulliver's Travels. Correct. No. <laughs> Two left. A uh, film in which Dwayne Johnson uses shrinking paste. Uh, the Tooth Fairy. Correct. Oh, what? And finally, this... <laughs> this un- Time Bandits. <laughs> this unfairly maligned sci-fi comedy features an army general getting shrunk, then stomped on. Oh, my God. Oh. Small soldiers. No, it's... Unfairly uh, maligned by you two. Uh, oh. Wait, sh- Oh, it's Mars Attacks! Mars Attacks. Yeah. Uh, a whitewash. Alex wins. Justice oh, for Mars Attacks. I love small things. I love small things. That's why I won the quiz. <laughs> That's why I can say something awful. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. I was like, no, no one. No, right. I'm not good at Let it well hang done. there. Let it hang there. <laughs> you sang the song. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, oh, shall we take a, a very quick look ahead? Would everyone like to have a quick look ahead uh, to next week's listener-led selection on our month-long listener selection? Thanks to Ben Ryan uh, from Sydney, who sent us loads of amazing uh, pairings, but we had one particular favourite. A kiwi! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the clue I'm going to give is um, next week, the three of us are participating in the ultimate cage fight. That is next week, the three of us are participating in the ultimate cage fight. Triple threat week. Triple threat week. I can feel it. Uh, right, we'll reveal what those movies are. The cage fight. Three of us are in cage fight. We'll be doing that on Thursday as well as going through Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, don't forget to keep in touch at ClashPod on Twitter or show at ClashPod.com on email. And please subscribe to us and rate and review us wherever you get your pods, Apple, Spotify or other. Back on Thursday for some more Shrink in Action. Bye-bye. 